0: And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Sarah McDonald. Hello! Hi! <laughs> Coming up on today's show, a look back at all the fucked articles we used to consume in teenage magazines. Plus, we watched Gwyneth Paltrow's new Netflix special, Goop Lab, and have lots of thoughts. And then, why people suddenly became a little bit prudish when Shakira and J-Lo took their clothes off at the Super Bowl halftime show. First, Mish, how was your week or should I say how was your last half an hour been? Because dear listeners, Michelle has been a little bit grumpy. <laughs>
1: I get hangry and I don't even think hangry covers it. If I'm not fed at regular intervals or if I'm delayed in eating, like if it strikes me, if the hunger strikes me and it overcomes my body and I can't eat right then and there, I just get overwhelmed
0: with fury. And it's not anger, it's Fury. And we ordered food on Uber Eats because we are responsible consumers of food <laughs> and responsible with our money, not... And the food was marked as delivered and it never got delivered. So what happened was it said please go meet your delivery
1: partner. We've done this many times before, Zara. As you said, we probably need to order Uber Eats a little bit less. I went out to meet the delivery partner. I went to the section of the building that I always go where I meet him every second day, basically. The delivery partner never came. And then all of a sudden on my phone, it flashed up like new notification, delivery delivered or whatever, food delivered. There was nothing. And then I still don't know. I haven't been refunded. So Uber (laughs) Eats, if you're listening, I would
0: like my $33 back, please, for our burrito bowls. The thing that Michelle doesn't understand about her own appetite for those listening because and i'll tell you michelle is that what frustrates me and what i've come to learn over the course of like two years of us working together is that your appetite comes in a fury like really quickly and it comes on like your hunger comes on really really quickly whereas mine's a bit more of a slow burn like i've got about an hour before I start going wild from the moment of getting a little bit hungry. You click your fingers and you're like, I'm fucking hungry. Someone feed me. You know what it is? I don't have a buildup. It's not like I'm a little bit peckish. I'm either
1: full, like full to the brim, don't want any more food, or I'm fucking starving I
0: would, and I need you to feed me. I would love to know if there are doctors or nutritionals <laughs> listening who can like diagnose this problem. But it was my <laughs> fault today. What I. I'm like a toddler. It is like parenting you. I ask you if you're if you're hungry. You say no, and I just sort of go and order our food and think in the next thirty to forty minutes there is every chance that that click of the switch happens and you'll be starving and the food will be on its way. Anyway. I, the responsible parent, reordered the food. It came very quickly. We ate and now we're on mic.
1: I feel very good now. I've eaten my burrito bowl. I think burrito bowls are so underrated. What a great food. Healthy (laughs) as well. We got brown rice. What a
0: great food.
1: (laughs) For any dietitians out there who are about to analyse me, we got brown rice. I got chicken. That all sounds Wonderful. good. There's veggies in a burrito bowl. Yes, I ate a few corn <laughs> chips, but no one's
0: keeping I a mean, tally. A <laughs> little squares of tomato. <laughs> Any recommendations though, Miss michelle
1: Yeah, a bit of a basic bitch recommendation, which is of course to say that it's already wildly popular and I highly doubt that anyone needs me to recommend it. I think people should go listen to the Chasing Cosby Podcast, which is currently at the top of the Apple Podcast charts, it's doing really, really well. It's out of the US, and it is by this journalist called Nikki Wise and C Egan, and she says her name at the beginning of every episode. And she's like, "I am Nikki Wise and C Egan." And I'm like, <laughs> "I fucking love that name. I wish I had a name like that." But it is an incredible podcast. It takes you through the Bill Cosby trial and some of the women who accused him of sexual assault and I think it's incredible. I don't typically like listening to recounts of sexual assault. I find it quite upsetting but this podcast does it really well, really eloquently explains how difficult it is to prosecute someone for sexual assault crimes and I think it's just an epically produced podcast. It is done so well. Have you listened to a single episode yet? I
0: haven't. I've actually just got my phone up right now because I was checking where it was in the chart. So it's number two on the Australian charts right now. And it has how many episodes? Five episodes. Yeah, I think I will. I also don't mind the very palatable kind of half an hour episodes when it is a bit more dense and true crimey. You will love it. I I'm not. You will absolutely love it. If you've been into the
1: Me Too movement, I feel like this came before Me Too and there's Gloria Old red. There's a whole bunch of characters in it that are quite interesting and I think you especially would soak it in.
0: I will listen to it on my way home tonight. Tell me about your week. Um, a pretty uneventful week, I have to say, apart from Michelle's food woes. <laughs> I did want to recommend uh, last week's episode of Four Corners. I'm not sure if you caught it, Mish. My mum sent it to me
1: and said, you have to watch this,
0: and I haven't yet. It was really good. I actually watched it on Facebook for the first time ever. So it was live on Facebook as it streamed on TV. And I don't really watch TV at home very Mm. much, but I do watch things through my computer. So I logged onto Facebook and I saw it. So I just clicked on and watched the entire episode on Facebook. Anyway, technology, hey? (laughs) Wild. (laughs) So
2: crazy.
0: (laughs) And it was searing. Like, It was a very, very quickly pulled together special about the bushfires and what the Four Corners team did is they chased down all of those incredible and terrifying viral videos from the bushfires. Like civilian videos. Civilian videos and they put it together in this special where they went through different people's stories. The people that took the videos were often interviewed in the special. It was hard to watch but also some of the videos like make you feel like you're there. Like if you really do feel like the bushfire crisis is getting a little bit fatigued and I do think that there is a tiny bit of fatigue around which is understandable I think sometimes when things are thrown so passionately into the public eye it is natural that these kinds of things happen but I do think the bushfire crisis isn't even over it's not close to being over mm. and I think it's really important that we watch these things and see the devastation beyond what we saw in the early weeks of Jan um, it was incredible I as someone who works in the media but not in TV production I am astounded at how quickly the team was able to pull this together like yeah. they It's been less than a month. They must have been working around the clock. So some really incredible journalism. I couldn't recommend it more. Obviously, you can catch that on iview or if it's still sitting on their Facebook feed, go type on Facebook. I really do want to watch it. I'm going to make
1: sure I do this week for sure. A little bit of a gear change though. It's time to talk about Doggo of Shameless 2020. It absolutely is. Do we have a drum roll sound effect? Oh yeah, bottom left. Bottom Bottom left.
0: left. No. Oh no. (laughs) Oh my god, yes. <laughs> bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> <That was> <laughs> Michelle pushed the wrong button. Yeah. Okay, but welcome yeah. back, <laughs> Mary is not Marie. What? Okay, What's it's the this one. Bottom left, not bottom right. Okay, Push the right button. I
1: guess <laughs> I still struggle with left and right. Okay. There we go. Ooh, the eight finalists are, I've picked my four, you can then take them through your four. My four are Dog Clary, who belongs to Listener Taylor dog Oliver, who belongs to listener Jessica. Tilly, who belongs to Annie. Willow, who belongs to Montana. You are my four picks. We have eight finalists. They are my four. Zara, I know, please announce yours. I was going to
0: say, this means nothing to listeners right now. By the time you listen to this, we will have the Doggos of Shameless in the Facebook group where we will be voting so you can see photos. Put a face to the name. <laughs> my four. Haley. Who's Amber's dog, Luna, who is Rachel's dog, Banjo, who is Bill's dog, and Cheddar, who is Tamara's cat. (laughs) Okay, no, no, we decided no cats. No, we didn't ever have a conversation about that. We said Doggo of shameless. Cheddar can identify as whatever Cheddar wants to identify Cheddar doesn't have, you just said Cheddar the cat. Well, we'll- perhaps cheddar is a cat but the thing is i couldn't not put cheddar in here cheddar is has a special place in my heart for those who don't know who cheddar is we've posted about cheddar on our instagram before cheddar's instagram handle is chilling with cheddar there you go cheddar enjoy your followers and cheddar dms me a lot we've been doing a lot i don't the give last a fuck. Six well, whatever cheddar always sends me cute <laughs> photos and cheddar's not a dog yeah, I know, but I just thought, fuck it. We can't, ha- okay, you know what's going to happen
1: now? All of the cat lovers, like the crazy Taylor Swift cat lovers, are going to come onto this thread and vote for the cat as an act of
0: defiance and we can't have a cat as the dog of shameless 2020. Okay, you make a good point because <laughs> when we put a shout out last week saying, look, we have a competition but we may not have a prize, the lovely team at Bondi Boost message <laughs> us saying, you know what, we've got Bondi Boost pooch wash, which is what, like shampoo?
1: Yes, it. I've got it here. Tell me. It's infused with odour-fighting cleansers and nourishing conditioners and is safe for even the most sensitive skin and fur, including puppies. And a dollar from every pooch wash that's sold is donated to the RSPCA.
0: See, a beautiful prize. Also, I dare any listener right now to say pooch wash 10 (laughs) times really fast because Michelle and I just just stumbled over our words. (laughs) Pooch wash. So the winner...
1: (laughs) (laughs) The winner, Zara, of Doggo of Shameless 2020, which will not be Cheddar the Cat. If Cheddar the Cat gets the most votes, it can be the honorary cat of Shameless for the year. Whatever dog gets the most votes will win the prize pack. Fair. Great. So the winner will get a Bondi Boost pack. They get a year's supply of pooch wash. That's incredible. Plus get these... $500 to spend on any Bondi Boost products. Shit, that's not a bad price. That is a good price. Thank you to Bondi Boost. We'll put a (laughs) link to them in our show notes. Thank you for getting behind Doggo of Shameless. I mean, this is the one time of the year that I feel very, very happy with what we've done with our community.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And our careers, more than that. (laughs) So, like we said, come to the Facebook group. We'll pin it to the top. You guys can vote. We'll have all the instructions there and we will announce it on the next episode. Mish, let's get on to the show. Let's, dog hater. I can't (laughs) wait to talk
1: about this. You and I I stumbled across one of the most incredible series that I've seen in Pedestrian, of course, Pedestrian.tv, which I feel like is the main millennial news
0: website in Australia. True, false? Uh, Yeah, that and Junkie for sure. What's
1: bigger, Pedestrian or Junkie?
0: I don't know. I feel like they kind of do different things, which is they have their niches. Yeah, still competitors though. I'll pin them against each <laughs> other.
1: <laughs> Fight. <laughs> Sorry, pedestrian junkie. So pedestrian riders Melissa Mason and Courtney Fry have begun a new series that has captivated our group and captivated us. Basically, Melissa and Courtney have found a bunch of old Dolly magazines from the early and mid-2000s and every week they've been recapping stuff that they've found inside them. And obviously, you and I grew up reading Dolly magazine. I mean, mid mid-2000s, I would have been 11, 12. So this was the time when we were reading the most.
0: Yeah. Some of the stuff that's in these articles, and we will link a couple of them in the show notes so you can actually read a lot of the examples. Like they've taken photos of the physical magazines and shown some of the anecdotes that are written in the magazines or just the advice given. And it's pretty crazy, Mish. Yeah. So they've done
1: three so far. One is called, We Found Our Old Dolly Mags and Rounded Up The Absolute Worst Fashion Looks For You. Remember those mid, like those waist belts that people used to buy from Supre and those headbands? basically that the little the bow headbands headbands and the chunky pendants i used to have a chunky heart pendant that i would wear with everything did you have a scratch and sniff t-shirt yes i also had a bolero from surprise (laughs) i I didn't let my (laughs) mum wash my scratch and sniff t-shirt so it sort of like took on a new meaning (laughs) very quickly there was also we went through our old dolly magazines and who the fuck are any of these guys they went through the hot guy section remember that they used to just have like photos of hot australian guys and half of them were very not hot at all Ooh, burn. Harsh, not harsh. Then most importantly, the article we want to discuss today, Zara, is titled, We Found the Most Batshit Articles in Our Old Dolly Mags and Here Are the Best Ones For You. Yeah. Not <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> very pedestrian. Not very Michelle Andrews. So we want to talk about this, Zara, because we went through this article and we read the very, very funny recap from Melissa and Courtney and we were stunned at the content that we used to consume as tweens and teens and almost couldn't believe that this shit was published to us.
0: Well, what I found interesting is that the girls were quite careful in their very funny commentary in the piece. They were like, look, it's it wasn't all bad back in the day. It wasn't all bad. There were sort of little morsels of goodness in these magazines. But I do wonder, does a couple of fucked articles in these magazines undo any work that an editor or a journalist might do to say, girl power, you chase your dreams, whatever it might be? Well, it's all quite hollow
1: when you're publishing an article literally titled What Makes a Girl a Skank? And I'll be honest, this one's an odd one to talk about because this was an article published in Dolly magazine around this time, What Makes a Girl a Skank, where they went around to their different readers and said, you tell us, how do you define skank versus slut? And so by doing that, they were platforming all these really gross archaic immature ideas on what female sexuality means and they basically pushed these ideas onto every person who bought their magazine that if you wear a short skirt you're a slut or a skank and those are the two worst things you can be as a woman
0: it is interesting how much the word skank surfaced in these magazines Mm. it is interesting how they literally almost put the words in the mouth of the young girls who were almost asked to crowdsource Mm. their answers to the question i think one of my favorites and when i say favorites like the one that stunned me the most in this article article, was a submission in one of the mags from a guy who was talking about what he finds attractive in a girl and what he doesn't. And he said, sporty chicks can be really cool unless the girl begins to develop manly features. Although it is off-putting when a girl watches the footy with more interest than you, guys don't want girls to be more blokey than you are. Mm -hmm. And as much as we can giggle at this and be like, how absurd, I have found it very interesting over the last couple of days to kind of go back and unpack the messages that we were consuming at such a young age, because it, it speaks to how much work, we've all had to do individually and collectively to sort of undo that and rewrite that. It's almost like you cannot be
1: blamed for having that visceral gut reaction where you are kind of inhaling and ingesting the patriarchy and all these ridiculous standards for women. Like, for example, I did not remember until I saw this that Dolly magazine was platforming dating advice and life advice from Kyle fucking Sanderlands. Kyle Sanderlands, do you wanna do you want me to read you some of the advice he gave women? I would love you to. Or oh, not even women. This is advice he's giving to what? 10 to 15 year old girls. This is what he wrote at the end of one of his columns. So before I sign off this month, I'd just like to tell you one more thing. Hipsters, as in hipster jeans, are a wonderfully designed fashion item and I've heard that some guys refer to them as hipsters, not myself of course. Seeing as hipsters still seem to be very popular with you girls, which we guys are very happy about I might add, I'd just like you to remember why they were designed slung low. They are slung low to show off your curves and they are damn sexy. So if you plan on wearing hipsters this season, please leave your hip bones at
0: home. Pretty wild that this stuff is published, it almost reads like satire to me that this could never have been published in a national magazine to young women, even when we were kids. And think about it, we were getting life advice from Kyle Sanderlands.
1: And who knows, this could have been a couple years before my time, could have been a couple years after my time. But the fact that Kyle Sanderlands was ever giving young girls life advice is a very unusual mental leap for me. I don't understand why he, even as a young guy, was chosen as the person who should be dishing out life advice to young girls. Yeah,
0: it's pretty crazy. And it makes me think, I think we've had a lot of conversations on the Mike here and in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, about sometimes when we're watching reality TV and that internal sometimes response that's a bit slut shamey and we have to sort of unpack it ourselves being like why am I responding in the way that I am why am I thinking the things that I am and this stuff makes a lot of sense to me that if this is the stuff that we were fed when we were 10 or 11 without even realizing that this was the stuff we were being fed it's no wonder that sometimes our default response is the wrong one and we have to rewrite that and sort of talk ourselves down from the ledge I know that sounds dramatic but we do have to unpick and unpack it all
1: thank you next bitch and now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you a rough and tumble on the celebrity news cycle. Zara Alice McDonald, you're wearing wonderful earrings today. I like your hair. Please give me the quick and dirty. <laughs> what? I didn't want to criticise your feet. In my head I was like, don't call her your oh. fine-footed friend again. Give her a compliment. You can call me your fine I, – I have fine feet. Maybe I need to give you a compliment on your personality. I always give you compliments yeah. on your, like, appearance. You're lovely. You're very – funny and dry.
0: Okay, let's get into this. (laughs) Story number one, Adele drops biggest hint, she'll never sing live again. That is from The Sun. Do you see this story around? No, you tried to talk to me about it, but I was,
1: I had my head in emails. Please tell me, what is the hint?
0: So Adele has sold a company that she had. She had a touring company, Remedy Touring LLP, and she very recently put it into voluntary liquidation. She has before that put millions of dollars through this business, which she started in 24 15, I think, for her 121 date tour. Do you remember when she went on tour for like mm. ever – She made a stupid amount of money from that tour. Like it was nearly $300 million she made from that tour and she's liquidated the company that she used to organise all of that, which a lot of people are speculating that maybe she's done with touring. Maybe she's done with singing live. I know she's had a bunch of issues with her vocal cords. Is she kind of done with music? Well, I don't think so. She has said, I'm ready to make more music, but I think that's what she wants to do. Like just make the music. I mean, if I had $300 million in my bank account from touring, I'd probably just sit at home and make music and hang out with my family too, rather than travel the whole time and be on the road. Yeah. And from what I've read, musicians really mostly make their money from touring now
1: that yes, of course, there's money in Spotify streams and downloads and stuff, but not to the extent that it was with CDs and albums. Now this is the way that they make their income. So if she's made 300 million, I don't imagine that someone in Adele's position would love being on the road that much. She's got a young son, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, totally. I don't imagine many people would enjoy being on the road that much. I mean, we spoke about Taylor Swift last week. Having Mm. to plan her life two years in advance because of world tours. So, an interesting story from the sun there. Number two, the sugariest. Is sugariest a word? Trashiest, sugariest <laughs> story I've ever found. <laughs> Sophia Ritchie unfollows Courtney Kardashian on Instagram after revealing she quit keeping up with the Kardashians to pursue a career in acting. That is from the Daily Mail. I hate myself for clicking into stories like this, but
1: I think I'll just continue to click into them until the day I die. I always think that I'm going to get more sophisticated with age. I don't. If anything, I'm regressing. And I clicked into this so fast, it made me dizzy.
0: Is it a metaphor for your life? I'm, regre- I'm regressing. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be on my Tuesday. So just be your Instagram bio at the moment. Just <laughs> don't look here. Don't look at me. I'm, gonna I'm make, aggressing. I'm going to
1: make that my Instagram bio. Anyway, <laughs> for those who give a fuck, which I imagine is very few of you, <laughs> Sophia Richie is dating Scott Disick and Kourtney Kardashian had Four kids? Three kids with Scott Disick? Sophia Ritchie is the newish girlfriend. Obviously, there'd be a little bit of tension there. Apparently, Sophia Ritchie followed Courtney Kardashian for the first time ever in September last year, but has now unfollowed her. And everyone's like, ooh, catfight. And I don't like that term, but I am interested in the tension going on.
0: There's a bit of tension, do they say? Courtney actually, I'm reading the article right now as we <laughs> speak, never followed the ex-girlfriend and... Hold on, sorry. I want to read this line because I think it's worded funny. For her part, Courtney, the ex-girlfriend and BB Mama, (laughs) Sophia's boyfriend, Scott Disick, never followed Richie. Isn't that awkward? Wouldn't you hate that to be the
1: new girlfriend extending an olive branch, like I'm going to chuck you an Insta follow and then never get it back?
0: Yeah, it's not fun. That sucks. What's your third story? My Kitchen Rules is dead, says TV commentator. That is from news.com. I didn't realise this, but of course I didn't realise this because My Kitchen Rules is barely making a splash this year. Oh, no one gives a shit. Literally no
1: one. And I mean, I don't give a shit, but it's in the quick and dirty today because the numbers are interesting. So the latest season of MKR, and we can say MKR has been one of the biggest reality shows in Australia for the better part of a decade. If you're not from Australia and you don't have My Kitchen Rules in your country, basically it's two celebrity chefs who judge a bunch of random households. It's mostly households, right? It's like you go in a duo. So you and I could go on My Kitchen Rules and be like... The best friends who do cooking (laughs) together and we'd suck. We'd make a mean risotto but we'd suck at everything else. Others are like mother and daughter, sisters, work colleagues, whatever. So that's the show. It has always been big and now it is a ratings disaster because it premiered on Channel 7 last week to 498,000 viewers Zara which
0: is nothing compared to the other shows on that night. It's interesting to me because there seems to be and I wonder if it's one of two things. If it's just a tired format now, like if people are just kind of tired of the show which happens with a lot of things like as TV series can only last so long do you remember when Channel 7 used to have the rights to the tennis (gasps) and they used to pump my kitchen rules I hadn't seen it anywhere this year you took my analysis Ah. I was gonna say that because I remember watching
1: the tennis the Australian Open of course every summer and they do those really lame ads where Manu and Pete would walk out onto the court via CGI or whatever and I remember being so infuriated by that but as annoying as it was it still put the show on all of our radars it's not on my radar at all anymore because the rights to the tennis went to channel 9 channel 9 has been pushing married at first sight like nobody's fucking business and now married at first sight is going gangbusters they had their biggest season launch ever Did on they Monday really I find really curious decision to even bother launching
0: My Kitchen Rules on the same night as the men's tennis final. It that is a very interesting programming decision but who knows why that actually happened like it might have needed to go over a certain amount of weeks and finish at a certain date I don't think you deliberately put it up against the men's final unless you really had to. It's a way to get it off on the worst foot ever yeah. I just find
1: that to be stupid sorry for being harsh for whoever made that decision but you're going up against a slot that received 1.5 million
0: viewers that is huge in australia and 884,000 for i'm a celeb like i'm a celeb smashed it yep anyway my story number four ligasm jealousy and (laughs) (laughs) femininity introducing 78 new emotions. That is from The Cut. I loved this article this week, Mish. It's not necessarily a news article, but what The Cut did is they just introduced 78 new emotions and I loved them. They
1: basically just smooshed together existing emotions or very common life experiences and gave them a word. And I love it as much as you do. Can you tell me, first of all, we just went through ligasm, jealousy and femininity. Can you tell me what they mean? You pronounce them way better than me.
0: I have a speech pathologist mother. (laughs) Go for it. What is What does jealousy mean? Okay, so jealousy is you want to be them and you want to sleep with them. Like staring into the sun, the worst of all feelings, possibly the reason some murders are committed. (laughs) I actually don't understand this as much as the others.
1: I think this might be more related to same-sex couples where you do have that jealousy between
0: someone who is the same gender as you. I've never been jealous of a man. Or wanting to be them necessarily. But I can imagine you might be right. It is perhaps more relevant in same-sex relationships. Ligasm, the sick pleasure of knowing you're lying and getting away with it. (laughs) You feel a little bit in your belly button, a quickening of the heart, a bit of bile from the throat, a hot, (laughs) wicked shame. That's amazing. It's a good one. And the last one, femininity from the um, headline. You struggle with that, femininity. I I, I tried to use the principle that if you say it fast enough, no one knows that you're saying it wrong, which doesn't often work on this podcast because people can pause it and go back. Mm -hmm. The warm glow you get when another woman hypes you up.
1: I love that. I have a favourite one and I don't think you'll like it because you are the dog hater of all dog haters, of course. But the term doglessness, the special grief of losing a canine,
0: that is sad. I'm not going to say that's not a good one. But
1: for I... anyone who's lost a dog would know that it does really feel like losing a family member. And doglessness really does. It always makes me sad. It makes me think of Coco, the dog I lost last year.
0: Oh my God. Way to kill a podcast <laughs> by bringing up your dead dog. <laughs> oh my God. What? I have to tell them the story from
1: earlier this week. What? Our friend... Messaged us a photo of her dog and made a joke that she should have entered it in Dog of Shameless. Oh no. <laughs> and
0: Sarah. I replied, Sarah. and in fairness to the lovely friend Jen who messaged us this photo, the dog's not that cute. So I just replied saying, What is that? What is that? To which Jen said, she died. She passed away. <laughs> well, then don't try to don't try to apply to dog of shameless. You criticize someone's dead dog, our yeah. friend's dead dog. I'm so sorry, Genevieve. Anyway, <laughs> onwards. My favourite words from this. Can I quickly read them out before we move along? Heartbreak adrenaline. The strange feats of strength that can be accomplished after a devastating breakup. I did like that. I think a lot of people would relate to that. And my <laughs> actual like number one favourite is moral masturbation. The solitary pleasure of being right. <laughs> Read right into that what you will, why I love it so much. Uh, my fifth story Weber Web, Wilson. <laughs> Keep going. Weber Wilson, go on. <laughs> Reverend Wilson's (laughs) BAFTA speech leaves Prince William and Kate squirming. Prince William (laughs) and Kate squirming. That is from Nine Honey. Oh, wow, you really (laughs) awkwardly finished that
1: off. Reverend Wilson's BAFTA speech was pretty incredible. She got up, she made some very funny
2: jokes. I'm going to insert some of her best lines right here. Good evening, distinguished guests. And those who don't identify as that. (laughs) It is, um, really great to be here at the Royal Andrew, uh, uh Royal Harry, no, um, Royal Phil, uh, at, the, at this Royal Palace Place. <laughs> Sorry, I was just told backstage that no-one's getting a massive gift bag tonight. <sighs> yeah, um, instead you're all getting a gifting wallet. Yeah, which is funny because that's also the nickname of my vagina. <laughs> so, Sam Mendes, Martin Scorsese, Todd Phillips, Quentin Tarantino, Bong Joon Ho. I look at the exceptional, daring talent nominated in this category and I dose. I don't think I could do what they do. Honestly, I just don't have the balls.
1: (laughs) And I loved it. I was sitting in the airport with you, Zara, saying this is awesome. I love how wry and dry Rebel Wilson is and I think she nailed her tone with this BAFTA speech. What was your take?
0: Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. I think the mistake that I made is I watched Webber Wilson's (laughs) speech, sorry, I had to, after I'd seen all the hype. So I was waiting to be like, hacking myself, falling off my chair. And it was brilliant and it was funny, but it was a classic case of reading the hype before watching the speech and I waited too long. That said, I love how she's killing it in Hollywood and has a lot of respect in Hollywood. It's really incredible to see just any Australian doing well. I know you won't agree with that line of thought because you don't barrack for Australians. I
1: like Australians doing well. I'm just not going to automatically cheer for an Australian in a sporting match by virtue of them being born in the same country as I am. Okay, let's not do this again. (laughs) We have to do it again. (laughs) I've already
0: been slammed by listeners for the last two weeks. (laughs) I know, I know. Anyway, so it was a really great speech. If you haven't watched it, we will also put a, a quick link in the show notes as well so you can.
1: I don't know if it left Prince William and Kate squirming. Bit of hyperbole from old mate Nine Honey. Yeah, I know, but
0: what? Hyperbole in a headline? Never. Anyway, that's all for the quick and dirty today. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, a review of Goop Lab and then a conversation about the strange backlash to j and Shakira's Super Bowl performance. But first, a word from our sponsor... Guys, we watched Goop Lab. Yep, we spent half of our workday sitting in front of Gwyneth Paltrow's new Netflix series that is part exploration of wellness culture, part Goop PR package. The six-part documentary offers a behind-the-scenes glimpse at Goop, the wellness empire Gwyneth founded in 2008, and shows the team pushing the boundaries on alternative therapies by partaking in cold therapy, energy healing, longevity diets, and therapeutic use of psychedelics. Reviews, naturally, have been very mixed if skewed a little to the critical side Mish tell me your thoughts all of them George has been monologue <laughs> one big monologue from me on Group Labs did you enjoy it were you entertained
1: I did first of all let's talk about her amazing office and hair coolest office ever best hair ever
0: yeah you and I did look at each other watching this and I'm sure we were meant to be analyzing different things rather than Gwyneth Paltrow's hair but lovely smooth shiny golden hair. how as a fellow blondie how
1: do you dye your hair that often at the age that Gwyneth Paltrow is and not have
0: any damage or obvious breakage? Her hair looks glorious. It's called cash. Yeah. It's called Cash. The office was amazing. You're right. I think it's the first thing that I noticed when I was watching the TV show is I thought, is this really well produced or is it just set in a very sick location? <laughs> a bit of both, I think. Yeah, exactly. I think I, I read a really I read a lot of interesting stories about this series after we had watched it. And there was an interesting one on The New Yorker where Doreen St. Felix, who I, I really love her stuff, said it is propaganda for the goop company and for its ideas of magical thinking. And I did kind of agree with this because there is this real sense of curated magic about goop and the office like it's this kind of empty but majestic space well, very yeah. minimalist but majestic it's like everything is californian and perfect are
1: we surprised that it's part of a pr machinery though like it's not. not like this is a louis through documentary where i want to hear about the wet Westbro- Baptist church
0: (laughs) like I just want to see the pretty office with the pretty pink staplers I don't think it was a criticism I just think Mm. it was an observation that it is propaganda and I think to go into watching it with that mindset is not a silly thing to do very true I am a little bit annoyed at the people that
1: I think that have judged this show before they've given it a shot. And I get it, I get it. Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop have been deeply problematic in the past. They have done some pretty fucked up stuff when it comes to women's health and propagating medical misinformation. However, they've also brought things into practice like fact checkers and process that has meant they've pulled back from that kind of shtick. I don't like the fact that this documentary has a 2.1 out of 10 on IMDb from thousands of ratings. That rating doesn't make any sense to me. As someone who has now watched a lot of it, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was sugary and fun and interesting and just... Different. Like it's it's a vacation from all the shit of our usual lives.
0: Yeah, but you're also taking a vacation from the shit of our usual lives to delve into shit in another life, I think, which is an important point to make. The rating is interesting but not surprising. And I don't think that group necessarily care about how it's rated more generally. I think it's targeting an audience who are already going after what they want. Actually, just to argue against myself in the same (laughs) sentence, what I found most interesting about the coverage of the Goop Lab was that a lot of women who wrote about this went into it wanting to hate it and came out and said, I didn't like most of it, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Mm. And that's kind of where I sat on it. I think it's very interesting that in the opening scene of the entire series, she pushes this idea that it's all about the optimization of self. And it feels like that's their tagline. Like this show is about the optimization of self. And I think maybe it's a bit of a mistake because I think when it comes to goop, this is where a lot of the criticism comes in, the idea that we aren't optimised just by being and trying but can only be our optimal selves through spending money and dabbling often in pseudoscience. Like it's a bit off-putting and alienating. But how is that a mistake? Groups of business is worth
1: 250 million US dollars. That is not a mistake. She's not trying to appeal to you and me. She's not trying to appeal to our mums. She's trying to appeal to someone who's on a $200,000 salary a year.
0: Yeah, I understand that point. But I also think that there's a reason they've gone to Netflix. Like they want to mainstream their audience. They kind of want to get the people who are half-hearted about it on board. They want to get the people who aren't immediately critical about it on board. And I just thought it was an interesting way to frame it initially.
1: I think they are trying to move a little bit back to the centre. Over the years, they have increasingly, they were founded in 2008. It started as a newsletter, particularly over the last three years. I think Group has become increasingly woo-woo. And I'm going to put quotations around that. I'm doing it in the air. This is a podcast. Just put them in your own head. (laughs) They've become increasingly like, I wouldn't say left-leaning, but alternative to the point where they're not mainstream at all anymore. And I do think this is, an effort to kind of bring them back into the centre. And I think parts of this are really carefully thought out. For example, before every episode actually begins, there is a disclaimer that says the following series is designed to entertain and inform, not provide medical advice. They then push you to go see your GP or your doctor. I think things like that, of course, are legally important, but I think as well, it's just interesting that they've framed it as entertainment.
0: (laughs) But that's what is confusing to me. Is it entertainment or do you want people to be their best selves?
1: It's absolutely entertainment.
0: Well, then why are you pushing this idea? And I say you, but I actually mean Gwyneth. (laughs) Why are they pushing this idea that it's actually being about the best version of yourself when in the next frame saying it's about entertainment? I do think it's important to go through very quickly Goop's history because in 2018, 10 county prosecutors in California sued the company after a consumer watchdog, Truth in Advertising, compiled a report that detailed 50 dubious health claims made on the Goop website. The most famous, of course, were those yoni jade eggs that they told women to shoot up their vagina to prevent uterine prolapse. I didn't actually know that that's what they said it could Mm. do. Goop paid $145,000 in fines and had to offer refunds. So yes, it's good that they're sort of, you know, putting a disclaimer at the top, but it would be kind of expensive for them if they didn't.
1: Yeah, and I get that. But let's also, I I get it. And they did not do the right thing with the Yoni Egg claims. I'm not standing by anti-science because I love science and I think we should always be listening to science. However, there are no documented reports in medical literature of Yoni Eggs actually causing anybody harm. So no one has been directly affected by what they did. They got a slap on the wrist and I'll accept that. I do think the level of hysteria that comes out every time Gwyneth Paltrow opens her mouth or produces work seems to be unbalanced with what is actually the effect of that work. I just feel like we're so quick to jump on the Gwyneth Paltrow is an idiot bandwagon that it feels pretty annoying now. Like it feels like we're just judging her and slamming her before she's even
0: had a chance to explain herself. Yeah I think I am in a lot of minds about this and I think that will become very obvious throughout the course of the segment because I do kind of agree with you. I think the outrage isn't quite on par with the crime generally but I think isn't that the case with anything online these days like the outrage is not on par with the crime I did think though there was a strange piece in the New York Times that I read by Alyssa Albert and Jennifer Block did you read this yes
1: it was called who's afraid of Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop
0: I wanted to read a quote and they said the tsunami of Goop hatred is best understood within a context that is much older and runs much deeper than Twitter streaming platforms consumerism or capitalism Throughout history, women in particular have been mocked, reviled and murdered for maintaining knowledge and practices that frightened, confused and confounded the authorities, namely the church and later medicine. They say criticism of goop is founded at least in part upon deeply ingrained reserves of fear, loathing and ignorance about things we cannot see, touch, authenticate, prove, own or quantify. This story was a huge and very impassioned defence of goop and alternative therapies. It almost demonised science, I would say. Most interestingly, there was no comment section. This was an interesting story. I do think there's definitely
1: room for stories like this because I think we can be quite condescending to anyone who wants to look outside conventional medicine for answers. And I, I do understand where these came from. I think there's definitely validity in discussing the fact that some women do want to go down this totally. route and that's okay as long as they're informed and as long as we're not spreading misinformation like Group has in the past but I would argue they haven't done really since. That's what we need to focus on what I want to talk to you about is the episode of the group lab that just took me by such surprise it's called the pleasure is ours and this was one of the more incredible pieces of television that I've watched in a very long time basically it was 30 minutes that showed women of all walks of life in all kinds of bodies from all kinds of cultures exploring sexual pleasure and it was radical
0: if you only want to watch one episode of this and truthfully even if you don't want to watch any of it I would so so recommend this episode it's episode number three it blew me way, I had never seen anything like this on mainstream television ever. It was talking about women's bodies. There were photos of vulvas on the screen, which I didn't, and naked women of all shapes Mm -hmm. and sizes. It's been called revolutionary in a lot of the news coverage. And I don't think that's an overstatement. Do you? I think for me, it was completely revolutionary to see these things being discussed in such a mainstream forum. And if this is Goop's purpose, then I can get behind it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow have been instrumental in talking about women's health and sexual health and sexual pleasure and yes sometimes she gets it wrong but sometimes she gets it really fucking right like with this, like this. the fact that she covered so many different types of sexualities, she was empowering it was incredibly feminist she was being lectured to by a very militant and effervescent 90 year old woman who got naked on camera we saw a 90 year old woman's naked body we saw women in their 50s masturbate on camera. And I know that that's incredibly confronting. And if you're listening to this and going, that's my worst nightmare in the entire world. I was going to
0: say, imagine watching it in an open plan office like we did with people all around. I
1: was so prudish and I was so uncomfortable at so many different points of The Pleasure Is Ours episode. However, I'm so incredibly grateful I watched it because a really interesting point was brought up in this episode that we are so used to seeing penises. We see cartoon penises. We see people draw penises in graffiti. It's like a dick tag or whatever. We see people's penises in TV and film and we hear them spoken about all the time and there's not that ickiness or shock factor when a penis is shown on television. But showing a woman women's vulva is out of this world transgressive.
0: I don't think I've seen it before on TV. I I am
1: still like, and I know this might sound weird to some people because I imagine some people would seek this kind of content out. I don't seek this content out. I just watched it because it was the Goop Lab. And I now have a very different understanding of what women's revolvers look like.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think it is important for us to note that, that not all of this is bad. And I think that's why I find the commentary around Goop so intriguing, because there is a lot of anger. I think there's a heap of anger and some of it withstanding. And it's important to note that the series has been slammed by the NHS chief. They've also sort of been dealing with accusations of whitewashing old cultural alternative practices. And the other thing that I've been thinking about is that it feels harder to call Goop out now because they seem kind of self-aware. So Gwyneth makes fun of herself on the TV show. She also said in a conversation about trauma that we both looked at each other after, because I thought it was quite a searing quote. She said, being the person people perceive me to be is deeply traumatic. She also jokes about herself on Saturday Night Live. So it's kind of hard to criticise someone who you think is a little self-aware, but I think we still need to think critically, even if they are appearing to be more likeable in the last six to 12 months.
1: Mm. You did touch on the angle of self optimization at the very opening minutes of this segment and I find that interesting and I think that's where a lot of the anger and resentment for Gwyneth Paltrow and group stems from in that the average Australian or the average woman or the average man doesn't have the time or resources to worry about self optimization All they have are the resources that can get them by and get them through the week and get food on the table, their kids to school, very... Basic, important, fundamental things that they need to exist, not to thrive, not to flourish, just to exist and get by. And I totally understand that resentment would come naturally to see this woman who's talking all about very expensive health practices that are a little bit woo woo, a little bit alternative, a little bit different. And for many people, that's infuriating that she has the time to talk about healing and self discovery and optimization when the average person is not concerned with those things, not because they don't want to be concerned with those things but because they don't have the time, the money or the energy to be so.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't also mean, as we'll both come back to, that she can't do that. Like she's still, just because it's not for everyone, doesn't mean it's not a very profitable business model, which is she's, she's proved it to be. I think that to my two favourite quotes that I read about this TV series, one came from Hannah Jane Parkinson at The Guardian, who said, in the end of the day, I didn't hate everything. About the TV series, which is kind of where I sat on it. And second to that, Ariel Pards wrote for Wired, there are moments of obscenity and moments of poignancy. I agree with that. I would give it a five out of ten. I would give it about three to four, but to be honest, I went in with expectations of giving it like a one or two. So props to Goop Lab.
1: Three. I laugh every time I hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 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 last Monday afternoon, Australian time, powerhouses JLo and Shakira, who were 50 and 43 years old respectively, took the Super Bowl halftime show by storm. Their joint performance was so captivating, so unique that it amassed more than 100 million YouTube views in just a few days, making it the most watched halftime performance of all time. But Zara, not everyone was impressed with the display from radio hosts to even feminist podcasts. Many had issue with the two women dancing so sexually on one of the world's biggest stages. What were your first impressions of the performance as you watched it?
0: I loved it. I was captivated. And I have to say in 2020, when I am very impatient and I get very distracted and it takes a lot for me to watch a 15 minute video without, you know, going elsewhere on my phone, I was completely captivated because I loved it so much. And I felt like these two women, these incredibly iconic women, were the perfect choices. And I couldn't think of anything negative about the performance in its entirety.
1: I know I just spoke about Gwyneth Paltrow's hair, but holy shit, these women have the best hair as well. JLo's hair, I don't know how many extensions were in there, but was the best hair I've probably ever seen.
0: Yeah. And also I kept considering how fit they are. Yes. And I know, I know that we don't want to talk about women's bodies. Of course not, but, but that's, their athleticism. No, thats I, But I don't think that's even aesthetic. I think that's important to mm. know how fit and strong someone is to be able to perform in such a talented way is important, don't you think? And
1: I do love that they look strong. You can see how much work they've put into themselves and how much work they've put into their craft and their career. And I think that's what I get so frustrated by when it comes to people calling them overly sexualized or all those kinds of things because it's pretending that they're just objects when really they're very very skilled at what they do and it is a skill to get up and dance in the way they did. Before we get into the commentary that was a little bit off and did rile us up a little bit I do want to give an interesting tidbit to those who aren't aware. JLo and Shakira reportedly weren't paid a cent to do this halftime show, which I was flabbergasted by. They do it and people go and do these halftime shows because they know that they're rewarded in monetary ways outside of the Super Bowl. So in the days after J-Lo and Shakira's performance, Spotify streams for JLo lo rose by 335%. Shakira's rose by 230%. On Amazon, J-Lo's increased by 432%. Shakira, 150 And Alexa requests for JLo lo rose by four. percent hundred and twenty six percent compared to Shakira's 303%. So they're making so much money through streaming right
0: now. Totally, which is an incredible thing to see, and it's kind of a really nice resurgence of two stars who I remember a lot from my childhood and teenage mm. years, and it's it's lovely to see, particularly women in their forties and fifties, kill it. Absolutely, and I think that's why I'm so stunned that we
1: have women up there, one forty three, 150, one with a teenage child, and these a women, teenage child, <laughs> and is that a thing? A teenager, a teenage, a teenage offspring, <laughs> and these are the women that we're holding up. Up as being incredible and entertaining and amazing and sexy and attractive. And the fact that anyone took anything negative out of this just is so confusing
0: to me. Well, I feel like the more I've thought about it, and it has been a week now, that it's almost like we've been conditioned that the only way to perform feminism is with our clothes on because the minute we take them off, it's clearly not by choice. And I think we're really confused about the difference between objectification and performing sexuality and being sexual free. Mm. As if the minute anyone takes their clothes off, they're objectified by the world and doing it for the male gaze. That's commentary that came up a lot. And that completely ignored the fact that Adam Levine was the halftime
1: performer last year and he did the entire performance without his shirt on. And nobody seemed to cry about how that went against family values or was corrupting children like they did this year. Also, just from a logistical point of view, Shakira and JLo have to wear figure-hugging, small, light clothing so that it can show how their bodies move. They are dancers. They are incredibly fantastic dancers at that. And if they don't, if they came out in a friggin' moo moo, none of us would be able to see how they dance. What's a moo moo? Have you not seen moo moos before? Uh, Google Homer Simpson moo moo.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. See, people did want them to come out in moo moos. And the entire production and the entire spectacle of the show would have gone down the drain. Do you think part of it is that they're both mothers
1: and we don't like to see mothers embrace their sexuality and their sexiness that way? I
0: don't know if it's too simplistic or reductive to think like that. I mean, I think it's definitely a point. I think that there is a case for the fact we struggle to see mothers like that. But I think when people were watching the show, a lot of people didn't realize that JLo's daughter was the one singing. I think it's just that they were so sexy and that they were children watching. I think that was what it was and that there was a poll. Some of
1: the commentary on Kate Timomati, and I'm not going to play it because whatever, but some of the commentary on Kate Timamati's radio show was definitely of the ilk that JLo is a mother. And to dance that way in front of her daughter and to be up on a pole in front of her daughter would have made her daughter feel so ashamed.
0: I mean, if Trish McDonald (laughs) wanted to get up on stage and do that, I'd be stoked. She just can't because she can't dance for the life of herself. You go for it, Trish. I believe in you. I think that is – I mean, I understand probably why – you're thinking that way if you have actually heard that criticism on Kate, Tim and Marty, but I do think there is this idea of, oh my God, shield the children. Mm -hmm. Shield the children from this sexual dancing because it's going to corrupt them in a crazy way. I'm interested in your thoughts on whether this was a performance that you think that was created for the male gaze because that is commentary I read in the New York Times this week. And I do flatly reject that idea. Like I, I was obsessed with this performance and I'm not, I, I don't know. Like, I am I the target market if it was created for the male gaze? I think it was a beautiful celebration of culture and politics too.
1: Absolutely. That is an interesting point. If we – and I've heard women rave about this more than I have men – Can it be designed for the male gaze if women are predominantly the ones
0: who are applauding it? Well, there's a couple of points that I've been thinking. I think that it is probably created for the male gaze if women's overriding response is, I want to look like that rather than I want to be like that. And my response was, fuck, I wish I could dance like that and perform like that. My response was, if I could do that on the world's biggest stage, I would die
1: happy. But I dance like a praying mantis. So good luck to me.
0: But I just thought it was generally entertaining. Like I wasn't obsessed with how they look. A spectacle. It was the spectacle of it. And I think, yes, their their aesthetic and their look is important in that context because the entire thing is a spectacle. And the political aspect too, I know I just touched on it, but nobody else seems I think what's annoying me now is it's distracting from the really important points made in the show.
1: Well, I think anyone who tried to take the prudish line of these women need to put some clothes on, or like they're objectified, they're being sexualized, poor Shakira and j or what a sad moment. It was kind of white feminism. I think it's really boring and reductive to take that argument away and that messaging away from this performance because you are not thinking about anything other than what they're wearing. If people looked on Twitter or read any of the literature around this they would have seen that there were so many little signals and messages that were brilliantly executed in this. So this tweet from Danny Hajar explained it really well. You really have to understand how huge Shakira's performance was for the Middle Eastern community. She had belly dancing, traditional dance, performed Ojo Essi, which is one of the few Shakira songs to have Arabic in it. She also did a Zagruta, all love on the biggest stage. Another passage from Jennifer Paola Varela Rodriguez read, Shakira is also the first Colombian to be a central artist for the Super Bowl halftime show, and that right there is history. It was a major deal for us, and no, we aren't going to get over it anytime soon, so be aware. There was salsa, cumbia, pop, rock, reggae, belly dancing. It doesn't get more diverse than that. Just like Shakira said on her social media, we Latinos climbed Kilimanjaro tonight and we certainly did because while there were only two up there, these goddesses in glitter fringes dancing in the centre of the stage carried the hearts of people like me who never thought we'd see this day. What a time to be alive, what a time to be Latinx and proud.
0: And that's exactly the thing that's distracted completely from this conversation is that JLo and Shakira did make history on that Sunday night at the Super Bowl, while other Latino artists like I think it was Christina Aguilera and Gloria Estefan have all performed at the Super Bowl halftime show. This was the first time that two Latinas were the headliners and 102 million Americans tuned in to watch the game, which doesn't even include the 100 million people that watched it on YouTube. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times very recently, Jennifer Lopez said, I think it's super important for two Latina women to be headlining the Super Bowl, especially right now in Trump's America. I mean, there were cages with children in them to illustrate all of Trump's very problematic and very racist policies. She was singing with her daughter, born in the USA, which was carrying incredible political messaging. I think this is the stuff that I want to focus on when it comes to that performance.
1: Who cares if they're half naked? Half pop stars are half naked. You don't have to just go to women for that. Men do it too. Also, what's wrong with being naked? Like as if nakedness
0: is the worst thing that women or men can be. I actually do think that we're almost at a time and it's taken us a long time to get there where just taking your clothes off doesn't mean you're objectified now. Like I know that not every decision exists in a vacuum and I know that often where we celebrate sexiness more than anything else but i do think that sexiness can stand alone now more than it ever has as something that is a decision made by women who just want to be sexy and have fun and dance well the hot take from two women who looked at labias today in their (laughs) office (laughs) i was gonna say the hot take from two women who can't dance and couldn't be less sexy if they tried hey i think that is all we have time for today that absolutely is if this is the first time you have listened
1: to shameless first of all welcome thank you for coming we are so glad to have you Zara and I are actually two independent podcasters, so we started this from Zara's bedroom floor almost two years ago, and that means that we thrive and we grow on your support. So we don't have a network behind us. So if you could support us, that would be so so wonderful. The main way to do that is to click
0: subscribe in your podcast app. But other than that, Zara, following us on Instagram is pretty good. Yeah, come visit us at Shameless Podcast on Instagram. As we said, come vote for dogs of sh- the dogs of Shameless. Dog go, dog of Shameless. One and of them. Cat. Fucking cheddar or cheddar chilling with cheddar cheddar should be paying me (laughs) for these (laughs) mentions um at shameless podcast community the winner will be announced next week and will be in your ears on thursday bye
1: Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo. Woo, We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a <laughs> time to be in your earholes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real-life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip, so if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.